If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. If you have your Bibles, let's uh, turn to Exodus. Um, I think in the bulletin I I had submitted uh, verses 1 through 22, but I think I'm going to just start in verse 8 and try to pair a few seconds out of the reading that I can use uh, elsewhere in the sermon. So starting in uh, verse 8 of Exodus 1, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more, mighty, are, are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves with those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor, in mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, and the other was named Pua. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive." And so there we'll end the reading. If you are joining us uh, for the first time, we're actually at part three of a sermon series on unmasking tyranny. We have been masked by a government. Uh, We look around us and see everybody wearing their masks. And so we want to, in a sense, unmask this uh, tyranny in uh, various forms. I want to just quickly review uh, the six points that we have seen previously is that tyrants, number one, reject God's authority. Uh, they're uh, wanting to throw, uh, throw off the um, standards of God's word and so forth. Tyrants, uh, secondly, establish standing armies. There, remember when they rejected uh, Samuel from being judge, they were Call in the men. God says that you're going to have a king and he's going to use your men to fight his battles. Your sons will fight his battle. And we argued that a, a well-trained militia was the idea of our founding fathers that we believe um, gives a better 
uh, way of defending um, the biblical ground and grounds for, for wars. Um, tyrants, thirdly, uh, control the means of population or production. Excuse me. They always want to get the means of the making of the money and get into that by way of total control, or at least eking in more and more by way of percentage into the means of production. Uh, fourthly, they want to control property, um, communism as an acquisition of property, according to Karl Marx. That's all it is. Um, Tyrants, uh, fifthly, uh, look to the world for wisdom. Rather than looking to God's word for wisdom, they look at the imitation, or they want to imitate the other nations around them. And then sixthly, they want control of education. Teach the children what they should learn. Teach your spin on history, and you can control your, your citizens. And so we want to continue to paint the picture of what tyranny looks like. And so I want to start looking at number seven today. We will continue that tyrants enslave their citizens. Here we have Pharaoh who wants to make the lives bitter with hard labor, the Israelites. They have um, a slave, uh, they've been enslaved by their taskmasters uh, to this end to work for the king. Um, when one attains political office, um, Typically, that breeds an attitude of superiority when you gain that political office. You feel like you are above the ordinary citizen because you have attained to a place of rule. And that feeds this kind of master and slave mentality. Uh, One has to fight against that um, to really engage in what the Bible has called rulers to be is servants of God and servants of the people. And that was the original idea of this republic, building upon Romans 13.4 that uh, the rulers are to be a diakonos, a deacon, literally, of God. And we have examples of that in our history. George Washington, humble servant of the people, who ruled in a way that, uh, that Christ modeled, that the greatest among you would be servant. And uh, he withdrew from the office, even though he was pled over and over by many to seek for another term. He felt he had done his due, he had served the people, and it was for them to now have a fresh servant in in office. So he didn't uh, seek for power. And I think in degree, we had a taste of that in in the previous administration, where Trump, I think, showed at least in degree a willingness to work for the people didn't take a paycheck the whole time he was in, and did much to restore freedoms that had been taken away, to restore power to the people, and to undo a lot of bureaucracies that were hindering and being very onerous to the people of America. Now, he was not a perfect president. I'm not trying to say that. But but I think he approached the servanthood uh, unlike anything I've seen in my life um, with the um, well, just, I'll just leave it there. Um, but politicians always are t- going to tell us they, they're here to serve the people. That's why they, they want to do their part to serve the people. That's what they will say. But we know that their self-interest is really the only thing that is going to motivate them because all tyrants are motivated by self-interest. I think uh, John Weaver rightly <laughs> said it when he said there are only two things that, that tyrants are interested in their election 
and their re-election, <laughs> right? So two things, and that I just think is just puts it um, very well. And in this case, and notice how Pharaoh, his counsel to the um, to his um, cabinet, will say, "Is come, let us deal wisely with him." In verse ten, he wants to to deal shrewdly with the Israelites, and it is going to serve to his advantage. Uh, not wisely in the sense that let's take the, the wisdom of God and see how this applies to my office. It's how can we craftily work it to our advantage. And so this results in this enslavement of his people. He puts them to hard tasks, hard labor. And while God's people are suffering under this wrong, patiently bearing with this, God blesses the people with these large families. And what God is doing is he's preparing an army in a sense. He's giving them children as the psalm speaks of the arrows that are in the quiver. Little war weapons, so to speak. And Pharaoh, I think, in some sense recognizes that. Recognizes there's an army that is come building in, within his boundaries within his borders. And so he wants to take, make sure that that army does not come to maturity. And so he increases his tyranny little by little. This labor will get progressively worse. By chapter 5, we read these words, that afterwards Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? There you are. That's, that's the first point we brought about a tyrant. Rejecting God's authority. He says, um, he continues, um, I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? I just think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's not really their work. It's the, the work you've forced them to, but it's really your work. They are doing your work. They are building you, Ramses and Pithom. So you note that uh, it's his work that they're doing. So get back to your labors, he says. Uh, and Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? What would happen? My whole workforce would, would be gone. So he commands the taskmasters, um, over the people. And he says, you will no longer give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go, gather straw for themselves. And of course, you know that the, uh, the quota is not reduced at all. And so by degrees, this tyranny just gets worse and worse for the Israelites. And that's the way of the tyrant. Um, one thinks about our own situation today. Are there are there parallels between the taskmasters that are over the Jews and the kind of leadership we have in our land today? Where it was not that long ago, as a young man, it seemed to me that most, uh, most homes were just a one-income home. Uh, it, there were a couple of uh, homes that had the, the wife in the workplace, 
but, but most were one-income homes. And now that's completely reversed. It's hard to make it in, in America today without the husband and the wife both in the workplace. Uh, the, the, the degrees of tyranny have come. Bureaucracy, excessive litigation, permits, taxes, environmental reports, fees of every kind, and on and on I could go with the amount of added tasks, difficulties to American life and the freedoms that we once had that have been foisted upon us just by degree, by degree, and uh, the tyranny uh, continues to enslave the American people. And so tyrants enslave their citizens. Uh, The eighth point of tyranny that I want you to see is that tyrants love genocide. Tyrants love genocide. Notice the king of Egypt here. He speaks to the midwives, and he wants them to put the boys, put the sons to death. He, in this case, is, uh, we could say, not only genocide, but infanticide. He forces this policy of killing the boys. This is going to, in his mind, remove the threat of a, of a future army that might be there in a decade or two. And uh, what he's going to do is also reduce the, the power to do the labor in making that decision. So it's short-sighted, demonstrating his foolishness. But also, all the daughters were to be kept alive. Why the daughters? Except to perhaps serve in his harem. Again, for his own uh, self-interest. China has a a one-child-per-home policy that has led to just such catastrophic problems for them as a society. Uh, most families, if the first child was a daughter, they would abort that child. And if it was a son, they would allow the son to live. Forced abortions. Massive problem now with the amount of uh, a workforce that is left to try to take care of the elderly. Um, abortion in our own land is crazy. Uh, perhaps permitted by the tyrants... But now it's as if the freedom has been given to the people that we just do it ourselves. So we we choose our own enslavement, if you will. Um, It's breathtaking. And, And what tyrants will often do in terms of genocide isn't just, you know, you know, uh, firing squads and going out and murders while people sleep. That happens. But there's a sinister aspect to the genocide that we often miss in tyranny and probably uh, more germane to our own day and age where where experiments with medical treatments, Medicare, are used to reduce what is perceived as overpopulation. Uh, In Nazi Germany, the forced sterilizations, the... um, Uh, idea of an overpopulated world was part of the influence that led to a number of medical practices that would make your stomach turn if you looked into all that was done. Um, Vaccines that were experimental. Um, And a number of other things that were done to try to reduce the population 
And what has happened is this whole idea of tyranny and genocide comes out of a mentality um, in our modern era that is, that is driven by an evolutionary mindset, that there is no God, that the races are really degrees of superiority. Uh, Darwin's The Origin of Species, um, the original title, um, I'm going to see if I can do this by memory now, uh, On the Origin of Species, or the preservation of favored races by natural selection. Uh, And and Darwin clearly understood that the races of people are not as Christianity would define, as all image bearers of God equally. But on the evolutionary scheme, there was a necessary superiority to one race over the other. And that has typically been a, a bad narrative for the black communities. And Planned Parenthood, their facilities, three times more facilities, three times more abortions among the black communities, even though they are minorities, than there are in white communities. And why is that? Well, when you look at Margaret Sanger's whole philosophy, her idea, ideologies, where the people she studied and viewed as really the great minds of the day, Thomas Malthus, who was a, a eugenics uh, promoter, you know, had this idea of overpopulation in, in the land. Um, one quotation from him that sticks in my mind um, is this, where he's talking about the mortality rate and how the, the mortality rate had to be increased, not decreased, in order to avoid this overpopulation. He says this, quote, To act consistently, therefore, we should facilitate instead of foolishly and vainly endeavoring to impede the operations of nature in producing this mortality. And if we dread the too frequent visitation of the horrid form of famine we should seditiously encourage the other forms of destruction, which we compel nature to use. Instead of recommending cleanliness to the poor, we should encourage contrary habits. In our towns, we should make streets narrower, crowd more people into the houses, and court the return of the plague. In the country, We should build our villages near stagnant pools and particularly encourage settlements in all marshy and unwholesome situations. But above all, we should reprobate specific remedies for ravaging diseases. And those benevolent but much mistaken men who have thought they were doing a service to mankind by projecting schemes for the total extirpation of particular disorders... If by these and similar means the annual mortality were increased from 1 in 36 or 40 to 1 in 18 or 20, we might probably, every one of us, marry at the age of puberty and yet few be absolutely starved. So how do you deal with starvation in the land? You kill off the population. That's the idea. Malthus was Margaret Sanger's hero. He was also one whom Adolf Hitler 
idolized. Maybe not idolized, but certainly had great respect for. How does this evolutionary process get pressed? Can science and medicine be used to press man to a superman, the Nietzsche's overman? Can eugenics be the answer? Manipulating the genetic code, trying to find that race that would be the superior race. And Hitler becomes ruthlessly consistent with this ideology. And this is why he sought to extirpate from his society all Jews, because they were inferior as a race. The mentally retarded, the handicapped, the homosexuals were to be eliminated from the gene pool. And the aged were to be removed because they simply took up valuable resources but offered very little to society. And so cradle-to-grave care was to be the, in order. Children taken care of because they were the property of the state. And then Nazi Germany grows, the medical experiments begin, and just strangely, a great number of accidents happen. A certain portion of the population dies, and it just happens to be that weaker species. And the white Aryan race emerges as the superior race. It's not Christianity that could do that. It's atheistic, evolutionary, communistic, socialism that brings that kind of hell upon a society. Every communist tyrant has loved genocide. Mao, Stalin, Pol Pot, Hitler, Idi Amin, the list goes on. Every one of them loved genocide. And the death rates are alarming. Those that sympathize with communism will report the number at a very extremely low number, about 42 million. Other estimates go up to about 161 million. And that may be an exaggerated number, trying to make it look as bad as possible. And I think that may actually be a very low number, 161 million. Because the question comes, how do you count the number of deaths? Is it only those that died from firing squads? Only those that were murdered in gas chambers? Only those that were actively pursued? Or do we add to the death toll the number of starvations that took place because of communist policies? The number of abortions that continue today? The China's one-child policy continues. Do those numbers get added to the death tolls? You see, the numbers, I think, are far greater than 161 million. But no matter how you slice it, communism is an ideology of death. And I will say this. It is this ideology, this communist ideology, that is now de facto the ideology that is in this present administration. Pro-abortion, 
Now, the democratic agenda is fighting for a doctor and a woman in the privacy of the medical room to determine whether a child who is born full term upon its birth, whether or not to kill it. If that's not infanticide, I don't know what is. Biblically speaking, life clearly begins at conception. That's God's definition of life. And it's every atheist definition of life in every other creature on earth except human life. If this was a puppy, it would be determined to be life in the womb of its mother, but not in humans. It is ludicrous to think that a doctor and the mother of a child should have the decision to kill that child in the, in the medical room. Pharaoh is a forerunner to this modern practice of our modern-day tyrants who think very little of genocide. But I want you to mark out. Mark out, dear Sapphira, or, uh, Shifra and Pua, these two midwives who will not bow the knee to tyranny, who fear God and disobey the king. They, in a sense, peacefully protest against the tyranny. They know that they're not going to be able to fight Pharaoh hand-to-hand combat, but they refuse his orders. And notice verse 21. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. God blessed them. And later on, Moses' own parents likewise will be forced to disobey Pharaoh's command to throw your children into the Nile, to drown your children. And Moses' parents make the ark, line it with pitch, and put Moses in, and providentially he's saved. And you remember how Scripture records their faithful act of civil disobedience? Hebrews eleven twenty three by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because, he saw, because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king had become a tyrant. Because the king was a murderous tyrant who thumbed his nose up at God, these faithful parents obeyed God rather than Pharaoh. That could have meant their own death. Are we going to fear a $1,500 a week fine upon the church? Bow to a tyrant because, oh, we might get fined $1,500? Where will we stand? Well, I have one more point. Sadly, I'm out of time. My radio message, <laughs> my radio message will go on if you want a, a free bonus point. You've got to join my patron channel, if there are those of you on the radio, if you want to hear point three. Right? <laughs> um, maybe we'll end here, and um, I'll pick up with point three uh, on the next one. I'll give you the tip. Tyrants want to control the media. I'll pick up from there next week. Not next week, two weeks. Um, But let me just ask you in closing, 
Tyranny is in America. It's life and well. And it gets worse and worse. And how are you going to stand against this tyranny? We've been called into a battle against this. And so I hope to not just unmask what tyranny looks like, but in the weeks ahead to perhaps lay out a positive case for how are we going to stand the ground and fight against this tyranny in the days ahead. And may God give us the grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, recognize that uh, for too long we have patiently uh, allowed the tyranny to continue to grow and fester in America. Um, We pray for the mindset and the grace to um, be able to fight this with wisdom and not just in a pell-mell fashion, but uh, to really uh, fight a good fight, a good fight of faith. And so we ask that you would bless us in the days ahead to be good soldiers of the cross as we sing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108, and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The church with the crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m. We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.